Do you ever think about utopia? Do you ever think about ethical dilemmas? Do you ever think about the other people on public transport? Do you ever think about the demise of civilization as we know it? everyone, and welcome to Do You Ever Think About? I'm one of your hosts, Merida Violet. And I'm the other host, Candace Jade. And today we're talking unintended consequences. So, Merida, um, do you ever think about unintended consequences like before this episode? Has it been something <laughs> that kind of occupies your mind space much? Um, I would say only in context of surprisingly <laughs> historical and political events. <laughs> um, I listen to Freakonomics radio podcast pretty religiously. I really love it. And um, they talk a lot about unintended consequences from a historical perspective, from a policy perspective, um, economic perspective, that kind of thing. And um, just in my own hobby interest of economics, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of information about unintended consequences when it comes to um, government policy and things like that. So only in that context. But I, when we were coming up with ideas for this episode, I had a really hard time thinking about it, how it relates to my personal life. Um, so not really in a personal way. No, mm. short and long answer. <laughs> <laughs> how about you? Um, well, yes, I do. As a profound and habitual daydreamer and writer, like, well, and also someone that's easily dazzled um, and will <laughs> seem to imprint on ideas that I've overly romanticized. So pretty much since, and I think this would have been a lot for a lot of people, since that movie, what was it? Butterfly Effect from 2004 with Ashton Kutcher, written oh, by Eric Bress and uh, Jay Mackay Grubber. Um, that really had an impact on me along with like sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow. And as a writer, it's unexpected consequences are such a gold mine. So like, it's a great starting place for journalists and a lot of my favorite journalists like John Ronson or all that have a whole career based around finding the unintended consequence, but on a writer or just like a fiction writer or anything, it's the backbone to every plot and conflict in like ev or everything that everybody consumes is pretty much like yeah. based around an unintended or unforeseen consequences. It's the beginning of the hero's journey. It's the big, it's everything. So that's and, such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me on a personal level, I've always been thinking about it because English has been my, my, my thing. That's like what I've, loved and like sort of uh literature sort of functions but it really hit a fever pitch when i was tram driving for those couple of years and just what like being a part of something that's as ordered chaos as public transport and watching how like people miss something and see like these weird things and watch like the whole dramatic shift of people like roll in and out through these friggin' like giant metal tubes that we like rely on as a society and also realizing like if I was in a bad mood or if I'd been running late or if I hadn't gotten up on time that meant that somebody else was missing a doctor's appointment so it's like 
crazy being part of like a gear in that system. So it's, it's something that I think about a lot, actually. Yeah, that's great. I, I love it. I haven't even thought about it from as a, a, a literary device, but it's absolutely true. I mean, my I think all the most engaging media is when you have um, the sort of story is about the side that we didn't think was going to happen when we, you know, took this action or whatever, but almost every, every great piece of media is about those twists and turns. I love well, that. I, yeah. Mm. I was thinking as well, I'm like, it really is a device that spans pretty much every genre, including documentaries, because like there are so many documentaries about, and I was like, really, there's very little else mm. that spans, like even love isn't in that many documentaries or that it really is this like fundamental uh, fascination that us humans have because we have the ability to bestow significance on a moment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, well, you know, it definitely, um, that does make me actually think about something in my life that I do think about all the time. Maybe I just never thought about it in the context of being an unintended consequence, but I mean, I think about the, the whole reason that I'm in Australia and that my life has taken this turn, um, is a consequence, I mean, of a lot of things. The global financial crisis, I think, is one of them because when I graduated from uni in 2009, I couldn't get a job in America. So I was like, oh, I'll go traveling instead, which I kind of wanted to do anyway. But um, really, I think that I probably wouldn't be in Australia if it hadn't been for a girlfriend of mine getting who I was supposed to travel with, met a guy in her hometown the summer before we were supposed to come traveling to Australia together. And I think that if she hadn't met that guy and if we had ended up, and, and, and so, so because she met this guy and she got a job and stuff and, and sort of just set up her life in the city she was living in. And so she made the decision not to come traveling. And I was like, I'm just going to go anyway. Um, if that hadn't happened and we had ended up going together, I probably would not have had the same experiences that led me to want to stay here. So, you know, that me, her meeting some guy was like probably the reason I'm still in Australia 11 years later. So what I'm hearing right now is this podcast is an indirect result of your friend getting a shit hot route. Yeah, basically. Yeah? That's awesome. <laughs> That's exactly. I wouldn't have met my partner if she, because I mean, I guarantee that we would have had an amazing trip together, but I don't think it would have lasted more than the one year that we were supposed to travel. You know, we probably just would have traveled for a year together, had an amazing adventure and then gone back to America and my life would be completely different. But because I came on my own, it was a totally different story. So yeah, it is a, and I think about that a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was actually reading um, in The Guardian the other day because we're recording this from uh, like COVID and so there's a giant exodus and reshaping of real estate, which is another thing that's going to have a total, I mean, oh, my brain exploded over this whole, like this week. It's been, I've been placing a lot of significant on things that probably didn't need to be like, <laughs> they're really not that significant either now because I've just been thinking about this, but reading an article in the Guardian the other day where a woman was saying like, she's lost her job, everything because of COVID and her auntie slipped on an acorn and has broken her hip and needs help. She's out um, in a rural town. And all of a sudden, this woman that's written the article is all of a sudden very suddenly and accidentally available and is moved out there and is having the best time ever. And her whole life be quite changed because someone else slipped on an acorn. Wow. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's, and then it's like, could you go further back and go, well, how did that acorn get there? Who dropped an acorn from their bag of acorns or what squirrel accidentally? Well, I guess it was here, so it wasn't a squirrel, but. It was know. just a careless tree dropping a shit. Careless, littering, yeah. a, a tree littering caused this woman. To- Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that actually um, brings me to a topic that I did, I, I, as I mentioned before, I did quite a bit of research on this because my, you know, frame is always about other people and never myself. That's <laughs> but, right. And I'm completely self-centered. So together yeah. we make a well-balanced <laughs> Perfect. <person. laughs> Perfect. Um, but I thought that was, I was thinking about um, unintended, un- unintended consequences aren't always negative. Um, which has been three things that have been decreased over the period of COVID-19 lockdowns um, across sort of Western countries. Um, so I have three things here. Would you like to guess what those three things are? I'll have a, I'll have a yeah. whack So at three it. things sure. have drastically reduced since we've had lockdowns. Is it air pollution is one? Yep, that's one. Um, STDs? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Didn't look into that, but potentially, yes. I don't see how it could not. Uh, that's absolutely such a good point. Didn't even think of that. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, oh, what, I'm just looking around the apartment for sort of inspiration and like bananas. No, no that's not it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, I don't know. Uh, traffic. Mike. Traffic. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> um, yeah, traffic is... Traffic is one car, like being car accidents. And the third one is seasonal flu deaths. So I thought what was really cool, and I didn't know that the, so I'll start with air pollution. Um, So I found an article in Science Daily from May. So it's probably even more significant now, but uh, air pollution, nitrogen dioxide pollution over Northern China, Western Europe, and the U.S., I guess Australia doesn't matter, um, <laughs> decreased by as much as 60% in early 2020 compared to the same time last year. So that's an article called COVID-19 lockdown significantly impacting global air quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and then car accidents. This was interesting because while the number of accidents, this was only in the US again, a study, I'm sorry, I'm very US centric. Um, this is an article okay. in Forbes. <laughs> Uh, from the 9th of July titled The COVID-19 Pandemic's Highway Hazard. Um, So while the number of accidents has decreased because there are fewer drivers on the road, the mortality of those accidents has actually increased because the roads are clearer, so people are driving faster. So when they do crash, it's way more fatal and likely to cause much greater damage, which I thought was interesting. That's, I kind of like that. I know that's horrible for people that have been in uh, car accidents, but it's kind of, I don't, I don't like that. I don't know why no, I said well, that. I mean, well, it's, it's funny to think about that because I also found another article based in Australia, which is that the road toll, this was from a bit further back, it was in April. So again, it may be hard to make a conclusion now, but it was saying that the road toll hasn't decreased and it's actually on the rise for similar reasons because so it makes you wonder like okay the people who crashed because they were driving too fast because the road was clearer would they have had an accident anyway because they're just shit drivers one thing i wanted to ask you and this is going to sound like it's unrelated but it's Mm -hmm. not the other question i wanted to ask you is what do you think the distinction is between an accident and an unintended consequence i think an accident is when 
you haven't even considered what could happen. So you've taken an action and you thought it was going to have one outcome, but you didn't think about all the other outcomes that could happen. Whereas maybe an unintended consequence is when you knew there were going to be consequences and you considered a lot, but there was still one that you didn't consider. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of the same definition. Well, I wondered um, if another sort of example of a accident um, as a definition, because again, it's so general, but that it doesn't mean anything. There's many different accidents as there are people, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But on a serious note, um, I was wondering if the unintended consequence is because of a larger chain of events and an accident is more a catalyst a catalyst event that proves an unintended consequence. So for example, one thing that I saw a lot is like somebody would miss the tram and they're very angry at me, even though I'm already three minutes late because it's peak hour and I can't stop because I, this, as much as this service is for people, it is also mainly for people that are there on time. Like, and so to cut it off for them means that you can't keep going. And although sometimes like there's, Tram drivers that are absolute assholes as well that kind of get off on it. But for the most part, they're fine. And it's actually more about trying to stick to an unrealistic schedule. So this person, hypothetic person, who I can see very clearly in my head, um, <laughs> like is angry and spitting the dummy on the footpath because spitting the dummy on the footpath because this tram has driven off and they're left there. And so they could, and then they miss a job appointment, uh, a job interview and don't get this job. Is it like the accident is missing the tram, but the unintended consequence is actually because that person couldn't get their shit together over a lifetime of getting together time management and is constantly telling everybody, it's like, no, they missed it. It's like, well, why were, if it was that important, why weren't, why didn't you make it a point to be there 20 minutes earlier? Like, and I'm so guilty of not being punctual. There is no judgment. I have done some dumb shit, but like objectively, (laughs) yeah okay yeah absolutely so maybe it's or or you could say it was the unintended consequence of deciding to put your washing away before you left your house because Mm. you don't have good time management skills and so even though you knew you had to get to a job appointment you were like "Mm, i really need to put my washing in and so then they were five minutes late to the tram and then they missed the tram and then they missed their appointment yeah i think okay i like that because the accident is more the singular event without a judgment attached to it. Yeah. Where the consequence is the, um, the knowledge that you've, it's, it's influenced by the knowledge that you gained of what that one action or lack of action resulted in. Yeah. Well, let me put, and I think like there's, it's one of those things that there's many different definitions and applications, but this I think will relate. Mm. Alex uh, Tabarrok wrote that the law of unintended consequences is what happens when a simple system tries to regulate a complex system. Mm. So when you have something like, uh, like a more open workplace you know, open, open workplace plans Absolutely. actually has, yeah, actually has a result of people behaving more privately because they feel on display. So something like that is like trying to address um, a larger problem with something quite band-aid, I get, or like superficial. Um, or just lacking nuance. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's, that's a, this is interesting. This is a, a really good way to tie in systems theory, actually, and, and the idea of complexity. Did you have something on systems theory there? No, I just <laughs> thought it was a good way of like, I was like, yes. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a lot of the world, the world problems that we, um, they're, they're really seductive solutions to really complex problems. Like, I mean, we, we kind of went over some of these in, when we were talking about utopia, but um, I think one of the biggest criticisms of something like universal basic income, for example, which seems like just such a straightforward solution to the problem of poverty, which is obviously one of the most complex problems that we have in society because it's, a, it's an individual problem as well as a systemic one. Mm. Um, and it's a problem in, within sort of smaller groups as well as bigger groups. You know, there, there are so many reasons why poverty exists. And if you say, just give people money, um, what's, what's that going to do to things like, um, you know, there could be positive unintended consequences to that, like crime rates drop, although I would say that's an in intended consequence. Um, but there could be a lot of things that we haven't considered. Like I know one, a lot, uh, one thing people often bring up is inflation, which is that, oh, if you give everyone $1,000 a month, for example, um, what's, is, does that mean that prices are just going to rise as much as like in proportion with how much more money everyone has? So then your money is actually not worth any more because prices rise. Um, but even that is not really a simple thing because economics is really complicated. So I like, I like thinking about unintended consequences as a, as a simple solution to a complex problem or as a, a an outcome to based on a simple solution to a comp complex problem. Me, me too. And I thought it was a very, um, especially for like some areas of unintended consequences, because it does like, you can divide that, like I was saying before, how it can span across pretty much any genre. Um, I think like the different applications of definitions of unintended consequences are different depending on the context mm -hmm. of that unintended uh, consequence. So that the whole um, a simple system tries to regulate a complex system is a really good vocabulary for a particular realm of unintended consequences, like in economic and social. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I well, I was thinking about um, another example of a unintended consequence in that kind of realm, in the economics and and society, social outcomes sort of realm. Hit me. That I'll tell you about. Um, so. Uh, this was uh, this was something I heard about on Freakonomics, as I listened, as I mentioned before. Um, but uh, basically, you know, as many people have been learning this year, the U.S. has a problem with incarceration. <laughs> I mean, what? it's not a, not a new problem. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, you know, there, if you have a criminal record, which one in three Americans have, adult Americans have have a criminal Ooh. record. It's crazy. It is. Um, and, you know, all, the, all of the, the problems that that can lead when it comes to trying to break the cycles of incarceration. So, you know, you, come, you get out of jail, you try to find a job, and people aren't hiring you because you have a criminal record. And so what do you do? You turn to finding ways to make money that are in the black market or are crime-related in some way. And then you end up getting caught and you go back to jail. And then because you have priors, your sentence is more extreme. And when you get out, you've got a two-year or three-year gap on your record, on your work history resume. And so who's going to hire someone who has a three-year unexplainable gap, you know? So 
Um, not to mention the discrimination that people face when they're asked if they have a criminal record, you know, employers aren't at, like as likely to hire you. Um, so there was a big push in the 90s to ban the box which asks people if they have a criminal record hmm. because the thought behind that was that sure employers have a right to know um, if someone has a criminal record but like don't have that be on the initial job application have that question be something we ask later on during a background check once we've already sort of judged the person on their merits and and their personality you know more than just what they look like on paper so over 150 cities and counties, as well as 34 states and Washington, D.C., have adopted uh, the ban the box policy, which removes questions about criminal history from job applications and delays background checks until later in the hiring process. And the thought was that this would increase um, the employment rates for people with criminal records. And, you know, as we know, that's disproportionately black, Latino and indigenous people in America as well. Mm. So it was supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to help with recidivism because people who are in good steady jobs are less likely to commit crimes and they, they have more of an incentive not to go back to jail. Um, and it was also supposed to just help break cycles of incarceration and poverty in Black, Latino, and Indigenous communities. Um, and so this just seems like a, a simple solution to a complex problem. Yeah, <laughs> like, it really does. Ban the box. Don't ask them if they have a criminal record. Yeah. Um, but yeah. what's ended up happening with that is that um, it, they actually found that while banning the box did increase callback rates for people with criminal records, so it increased the, the number of people who sort of get through that first stage of the application um, and get a, a phone call, you know, to have a phone interview, but it also reduced the likelihood that employers would call back or hire, or hire young Black and Latino men. So um, basically, because the box isn't there to tell employers whether or not the person has a criminal record, the, the employer is then left to try to guess who's got, who's got a record. Mm -hmm. And so because of discrimination, racial discrimination, people, and, and because, you know, statistically, Black and Latino young men do have a higher rate of incarceration, and it is more likely that they have a criminal record, unfortunately, um, employers were then just basically just discriminating against black and Latino men. And so the only people that this, this process actually helped was white men with criminal records. So their rates of, of, of employment actually increased white, white men who had criminal records, but black and Latino men, it decreased. So it, it pretty much had the opposite effect as it intended to have. Um, and, and so now there's a lot of, um, push to, review, um, you know, how we can make this policy work for people. Um, and I got all of my information from a report called Ban the Box and Racial, Racial Discrimination, a review of evidence and policy recommendations from February 2017 um, by the Urban Institute. Very fascinating stuff. If anyone wants to find it, um, I will put a link in the episode description. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, it is so fucking interesting because... Um, so many policies uh, or that kind of stuff are really well-meaning um, and it is like there is a much purer intention at heart of like the policy change than the unfortunate result. Like, um, for example, in Bogota, uh, where they were trying to reduce traffic and the ensuing emissions that are caused by the traffic by restricting who could drive each day based on their license plate that like 
just led people to buy more cars. So everyone's got two cars now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God. um, And so, yeah, it is like, it sucks because at the heart of that is something like emissions. We've got to, we've really got to get on this guys, but nobody cares about that. And it is because it's a smaller, it's a, it's a bandaid solution to like the bigger problem, which is trying to change people's attitudes and their misinformation that they've been given or educated or conditioned to believe, which is the same thing with this, like, systemic racism to this it's not about just the behavior of it we've got to change the attitude for there to be any light like change which is why we need to uh, (laughs) constantly banging on about why we need to like invest in the arts and because like it's the stuff like arts and stories and good movies and empathetic storytelling that actually is the tool to change the hearts and minds of people and not just the behavior otherwise it's futile and we'll all die on a burnt out husk of a planet except for the rich folk <laughs> yes i remember when you when you when we talked about art the power of art to change people's minds and you really brought that idea to the forefront for me because um something i'm really caught up in right now is trying to figure out how we fix this problem of information i mean obviously it's not it's not my problem to fix really but at, we as a society how do we fix these issues of misinformation and you know we see every day especially with the pandemic but it was already happening before that how people are just getting more and more ground in on their side and i mean this is sort of diverging from the topic a little bit but i i remember we were talking about this one time and you were like that's why art is so important because people's minds change not through shouting facts at them as much as I wish that that could change people's minds, it's not going to. They have to have an emotional connection with it. And that's why stories and art can do that so well. Music and, you know, really amazing sort of, you know, media can can change people's views on things. Um, yeah, I think that's the value in it. And 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 with that Bogota example, I'm just thinking like how silly that is because like if they were going to spend money um, they were going to fine people for emissions. Is that what it was? Um, no, they were cutting down. So you had to. You could only take your car out um, every second day, and so it was. Uh, the decision was to halve the amount of traffic by stemming, which like so you could only take one car out per day, and they based right. that on the number plates as the way to govern that. And so people just got a new car with another set of number plates to alternate between the cars. Instead and of having like, to go public transport, like every just, off day. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Like, couldn't that money have been better spent in for, enforcing that rule, the money that they spent enforcing that rule? Couldn't that have just been to, like, increase the public transport capacity of the city? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Like, because I've mm. never been to, have you ever been to Bogota? No, I haven't. So I don't really know um, what their capability is. But I guess, I mean, I would just think any any traffic solution that doesn't include increasing public transport in my view is a waste of time. <laughs> oh, it's a total joke. It's a total joke. I like really it's, we should spend so much money into that. It's so good. And we've seen it in so many different cities around the world, particularly in Europe where mm. it works really well. Like in London, if like they've got their public transport system down, you don't need a car and it's so efficient. You will get statistically fatter the first month you're there because you literally don't need to work, walk any further than like five minutes to a sub like to a station it's so efficient yeah right i, I didn't know it was that uh perfect and, and that includes in the suburbs like further out of the city um i think it goes pretty like 
pretty far from the city kilometer radius like that it actually has like such a good effect it is what's it called the um Heathrow injection I believe is what is the colloquial term for <laughs> the, that you can bank on getting fatter when you first move to London because you don't need a car and you really don't need to walk that far at all and you're just enjoying just like pints wow and, um, and it's and- cold so I guess you don't want to walk as far it's like cold and rainy so it's not like pleasant to just walk somewhere either mm. right yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, no, <laughs> I've totally. never been there either. <laughs> it's cobblestone everywhere. It's like, fuck this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's not cobblestone everywhere. It's yeah. like quite, quite some proud bitumen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Queen's bitumen, that is. <laughs> hey, could you tell me what bitumen is? I don't actually know what that is. I've heard I that word. It's asphalt. I've got my dictionary right here. I'll have a look. Oh. I had because what I, the reason I've got my dictionary right next to me is because I've got consequence highlighted because I also came to that conclusion. Consequence by the dictionary is a result produced by some action or condition, and it really is. It's not a negative term. Mm. It's a very factual, factual term of being like this is the consequence, the product of an equation. But I think because it's mainly been teachers and authoritarians using the word we've come to associate it with much more negative actions in the dictionary i've just found out that bitumen is not spelled the way you spell bitch but it's spelled um bitumen it's a black sticky substance obtained from petroleum used for covering roads so there you go so tar yeah in fact the next thing says a tarred road (laughs) (laughs) so uh, okay as we pronounce it in america asphalt Asphalt. 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 And you guys say asphalt, right? Asphalt. It's kind of silky, like like yeah. a, it's like velvety. Then yeah. don't put your face on it. Yeah, and in America we're just like ass, ass, <laughs> <laughs> ass, and titties. Well, do you know what's also fun that I've just found out? It's there's also an adju- like an adjective version of it. Something can be bituminous. Oh yes, bituminous. Bituminous. <laughs> so you would say the, I don't know, what, what would you be talking about that's not a road? Say if someone's <laughs> been tarred and feathered like they did to oh. um, the dude that started the Mormon church a bunch of times. Yeah. <laughs> to be, that used to be a solid like punishment back when they used tar and had feathers lying around, I guess. I guess the next morning you could call him quite bituminous. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and feathery. I and guess. feathery, <laughs> yes. Feathery and bituminous. Joseph Smith, yeah, most bituminous leader of the church. The most bitch and bituminous dude out there. <laughs> <laughs> this is for everyone that has a dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Well, I've got another little fun fact. Tell me. Give me the fun <laughs> factoids. Um. Oh, I actually didn't finish. Actually, okay, I'll finish this one and then I'll go into my next one. They're, they're all pandemic related because it's what's happening in our world right now and what the fuck else is there to talk about? Well, but- could, I, could I interject quickly with a pretty oh, yes. bit of happy news? Um, oh, yes. as, as according, well, I'm really hanging out for this um, outcome, actually, uh, was reimagining our cities, which are now desolate wastelands full of empty office space and using them more for entertainment mm. related purposes is probably the right way. Well, there was a, what's the word I'm looking for? Like not foresight, prophecy, foreseeing. I don't know. Some dude in the paper this morning was talking about, and he had 
qualifications he was like city planning he wasn't some yeah guy. yeah no just some guy who's like i think we should have more open air seating but yeah, yeah. well I, that's actually been a lot of the content in my one of my facebook big groups that i go in and have keyboard warrior warrior warrioration in <laughs> <laughs> you should call someone bitch menace yes I <laughs> they would hate it because they hate cars in this group it's about urbanism and public transport it's like an appreciation group for urbanism and public transport i think i've well, told you about this group it's wonderful you have and well if that's the case maybe you should put forward the idea of recycling asphalt into a sports jacket and oh. getting them to wear that <laughs> quite trendy bituminous fashion mm. that'd be pretty sick like lapel with the white you know the white stripe that you try to avoid when you're driving mm -hmm. <laughs> that it could one. just be all black with really sticky with a long white paint stripe yeah we're like on the lapels it'd be fucking sick oh, that would be very cool i like that and then you could just get run over as a piece of performance art. Or a parking ticket can be like the little <laughs> cravat. It's coming out of the pocket. <laughs> and you've got one of those, um, those like light up the little reflector things that are on there. You've got those like, you know, sort of speckled around. Now you're talking right. for a nighttime look. Put on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> put on your reflectors <laughs> for a nighttime look. The unintended Very. consequences that someone's getting some love in. <laughs> <laughs> 2021 <laughs> mm, year of traffic fashion that's right <laughs> recycled upcycled traffic bitumen fashion yes. <laughs> fuck roads wear them <laughs> <laughs> that um, is. sorry but, continue with your no but that's it, it no you brought up a really good point like another unintended consequence a really positive one that i hope is going to be the outcome and, and that's discussed in this group a lot is the Re repurposing of public spaces to be more, you know, pedestrian friendly, um, allow a lot of it, I think, was for businesses so that they could meet social distancing requirements, you know, particularly restaurants and stuff. Um, in the US where it's summer right now, there's been all these awesome photos shared in that group about like, this is my hometown and, uh, you know, like maybe a small mid-sized Midwestern city. And they're like, look what they've done. They've actually shut down the main street to cars and built all these little stations where people can have socially distanced dining. And, you know, people are using their public shared spaces more. And I think a consequence then, I think a consequence of people using the space more is going to be that they demand these, those spaces are better. Yeah, you know? I love it. Well, one thing I was reading about uh, was these 15 minute city plans. Have you heard about these? It's something no, that's that, cool. Yeah, it is. And it's about like, um, if we have more entertainment bases in our CBD, this is something that Melbourne could really achieve really easily. If we like, um, kind of repurpose the CBD for more entertainment sort of values, because what's been taken out of it is the office space and therefore all the court sort of commerce that is aimed at office workers at say lunch and breakfast. So like coffee places have suffered greatly. Melbourne being coffee connoisseur, wank town, which I love. <laughs> uh, but like half the coffee places are the little places that you could get your coffee in Melbourne are not there anymore because there's no office works. Mm -hmm. uh, so that'll probably be reshifted throughout uh, the suburbs as people work towards a more at home half model. But the 15 minute city idea is redeveloping more densely uh 
outside the CBD. And so the aim is, is that everything that an individual needs, at least for like extended essentials. So you're able to get like good stuff, good quality produce and kind of like everything you need within 15 minutes of cycling or walking. And that everybody has this, so that you're building more of a uh, a community um, kind of every couple of blocks rather than having it as this thing. And a lot of places like Paris, I believe, are looking into it as a future. And I was like, it's great. We've already got so many places that are pretty, like we've already got all these weird little um, shop fronts that are already closed down because of the unintended consequence of the internet shopping. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. just, yeah. Like, let's just um, reopen them back up to sort of make it a bit different. It's going to, like, COVID is really going to change up what the city looks like. I, th- I think it's really going to change city spaces. I mean, uh, the, the gosh, there's so much in there that you just discussed that I love talking about. Um, I think, I think a, a city like Melbourne, it's, it, like in some ways when you say, oh, you know, you're focusing the development in these suburban areas, it's like, well, Melbourne's a little bit like that anyway, because it's sort of like um, the neighborhoods of Melbourne sort of have their own unique kind of vibes anyway and you know you go down to Fitzroy and you know going on Brunswick Street there it's like that actually feels more like a downtown than going to the CBD does on at least on a weekday you know this this the CBD which is central business district really is just for business and so now I wonder how are the but but you know but when you get further outside the little inner suburbs when you get further out to like place where I live, which is a lot more suburban, we don't have that vibe anymore. So it would be really cool to see that kind of unique um, culture of the of the suburb extending out beyond just these wealthy sort of inner city suburbs. And, you know, all of the um, transit oriented development that we, we do see in Victoria, for example, Mernda, that town, which is now the new end of the train line, which goes through where, mm-hmm. where I live, um, that whole development, as much as we hate McMansions, that whole city is basically being um, developed around the train station. And it's, and if, and now if people aren't actually having to commute to go to work, a lot of people are not having to commute to go to work. That's going to mean such, I think that has such cool implications for what those cities, which were just going to be bedroom communities, are they now, can they actually just be full-fledged communities? And there's no reason to go far to um, find culture and to find nightlife. Um, you know, I would love if I didn't have to, well, I mean, I guess we still have it in the North a little bit. Like, I, you know, I don't have to go to the city to go to a club. I can go to my Aeon. Mm, fully. <laughs> but, you know, but but like, could there be that out in Mernda or could, and you know, like as much as we hate sprawl, the whole reason sprawl is bad in my view is because it, the center of gravity is in the city. And so you have people having to commute very far and that's such a burden on your, on your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, plus the, and the planet, of course. Yeah. Um, but if we're not having, if we can just stay in our areas, like I love that idea. And if people keep working from home, um, oh, that, that actually makes me think of um with the property market i i read an article might just have to pull it up but um could i just say that i resent yeah. that term burden of travel that doesn't mean anything to me i love public transport it's the greatest stage on earth and <laughs> yes public transport not not so much of a burden but in some i mean it's i don't think i've ever experienced it 
as a burden as much as someone maybe who have who has kids does because having to commute i mean even now since i've been working from home since march having two hours a day back in my life to do what i want is it it like took me like three months to even get used to it i was like not really taking advantage of this extra time and now i'm like oh my God, like, do I ever have to go back to a job where I have to commute to and from work every day? Because it's really nice being able to like complete my um, chores in the morning when I first wake up, for yeah, example. Well, that's a tenant, um, a consistent, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a consistent component of things that people suggest to improve your happiness is that like people are statistically much happier if they live within a half hour radius of work and don't have to travel further than that and can just like because then it is i'm 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 a weirdo i've always loved public transport just because i love people watching Mm. and then think but like um and i I like to think on there but for most people that don't experience like that having that um no more than half hour travel means that you can dedicate that time to doing whatever you want and watching whatever you want. And that may, weirdly, that may not be strangers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like, or, you know, when you do take public transport, it can be an enjoyable experience because you're actually going somewhere excite. You know, if you have to ride for longer than 30 minutes, it is actually like you're going somewhere is a fun thing. It's not a daily schlep that you have to, you know, and, and also like, I think about when I had, when I was studying, I had two jobs and and uni and I was just living on that fucking train man and Mm. and that was it was fine in in you know as in terms of like I wasn't driving so that was much better and I would bike you know to and between the train stations which you know allowed me to like save some time but um that you know when I would finish my waitress job and have to get on the tram at 1 30 in the morning and get home for four you know for 40 minutes that wasn't great. You know, I could have cut that out when I was, when I'd had like a 16 hour huge day. Totally. Um, and like the reason that, the reason that people have to commute in the first place is because commerce and like the jobs don't exist in the suburbs. So again, like, I hope that as we repurpose cities after COVID that, you know, the consideration of, a suburban community isn't just about creating houses for people to live in. It's actually jobs for people to work at. And so you're going to build more hospitals, you know, where that employ lots of people. You're going to build a tech company might have an office in a suburb instead of in the middle of the city or um, I don't know what, what jobs people do, but yeah, I, I well, do know what jobs people do, but I, you know. I, I'm all for this idea of repurposing the CBD for sort of residential and entertainment purposes, because I really love that about LA. I know it's kind of like, I love the sprawling neighborhoods and kind of everything having their own little identity and be able to ooh, hello, weave through what is essentially more districts. Than, yeah. Um, I think it's cool. And then you go down to downtown LA and you're like, there's nothing here. It's literally just boring buildings. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's the only thing that's bad about that is that there's no public transport. Like, I think that, you know, yes. like, I don't think we need massive, I don't think there's anything wrong with sprawl if it's not car centric, I guess. Totally. You know, if, if you could just have your own little bubble and think, and you know, that's going to be good for public health as well. When, when we get the next pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, I, th- there's so many cool things that, you know, of all the bad things that have come out of this, which were sort of known consequences, I am hopeful and, and eternally optimistic that 
people will, the people who are getting a break right now, um, sort of start to realize that like, oh, actually that like fucking rat race life that I was living isn't the way it has to be. Mm. I'm obnoxiously optimistic that that's yeah. what's gonna like, a very undesirable trait of me, but it is true. Um, I think, yeah, it's like this whole forced, my auntie calls it the great pause because she thinks mm. lockdown is too aggressive and I love her for it. But the great pause of, yeah, people actually taking the time to reconsider um, how they do and can spend their time is, I think, can only have positive unintended consequences um when people well, i don't know it's very no i don't think that it's just gonna have positive that's it so. no it's definitely not that's the thing it's gonna there's gonna be bad negatives there's gonna be i mean um like mental health outcomes are not that's gonna it. be great from this you know then and, and at my work we've think, seen things like divorces and <clears throat> parenting disputes and domestic violence on the rise. But one thing that is a positive, which was a, 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 a consequence that I think many thought would happen and hasn't happened, although cautiously not yet, but I shared this on my Facebook recently, just that we haven't actually seen an increase in deaths by suicide in Victoria um, year on year through the lockdowns, which was, you know, actually like a big concern both for people who legitimately care about mental health and was kind of a bargaining chip, I think, for, for like disingenuous people who just want to see the economy reopen. So they use, you know, mental health as like a kind of uh, bargaining chip for that, um, which I thought was interesting. But that, that was an article in The Age that just came out on um, the 27th of August. Um, but, you know, again, I, we should be cautiously optimistic that there's you know, because we have so much investment in mental health happening right now in, in Victoria, that uh, maybe that won't be a consequence of our lockdowns. But if anything, I think an unintended positive consequence of this whole thing is that people are actually paying attention to mental health for the mm. first time. There's yeah. a lot of people that for the first time have like, um, one, either thought it was not a worthy cause for government funding or for their own sort of like funding or time for that matter. A lot of people like, I know a few of them that don't see any value to wanting to go see th like a therapist mm. and don't see any value in like talking about your feelings, but it's really important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really and like, you know, and I think like the, the helplines, like, you know, um, beyond blue, blue and stuff have seen a big increase in the number of people who are calling. Mm. And I was wondering, like, I'm sure that, a lot of people who are calling those lines for the first time, it's because they have the opportunity to do so. They've actually got time, like what you were saying. They've actually got the space in their life to go, I'm going to fucking deal with this now. I'm going to deal with these, with this depression. I'm going to deal with this anxiety. Um, I'm going to deal with this trauma because, you know, as much as it's sad when, you know, that a lot of people have lost work and have lost their jobs. Um, it's actually freed space in people's minds to think about stuff that they probably haven't had the opportunity to do when you're just slogging it out, working 50 hours a week, you know? Totally. Like, yeah, the distractions that have been able to be around through work and sort of like social endeavors, although not bad, like whatever. Um, yeah. As soon as they're taken away and people are just left with their thoughts and realizing how they've been dealing with a lot of, um, yeah, I've said it before that I think a lot of mental health with the statistics that have come out around uh, coronavirus and the use of Beyond Blue and 
um, lifeline, particularly because there's been a significantly greater amount of calls made out of Melbourne, particularly through the lockdown. Um, and so people, I wonder what the ratio is of mental health issues that have always been there as opposed to ones that have been sort of manifested because of the virus. Cause the first time I've mentioned this, I was like, I hardline, hardline bossy Candace and being like, no, I reckon that most of them would have already been there and they've just got time yeah. to think about it. But no, I thought about that through the week. I'm like, no, there'd be a lot of people that have like, just the introduction of like bacteria and germs have really like manifested in the head of like a lot of anxiety and kind of mm. claustrophobic feelings that weren't there before. Like people, I didn't realize for a long time that people actually don't deal with depression. There's a lot of people that yeah. actually just don't have depression because you don't, there's a statistic, one in three people have depression. And I was like, one in three people. I'd never thought about the two out of three people. Yeah, <laughs> especially I think because of the people that we know are like more in touch with it, I think is, you know, like people that I've come across in my life are quite in touch with that. Yeah. I think you're right. People who have actual like legitimate, like situational depression and not just like the crushing existential dread of like the human condition yeah. type of depression. <laughs> <laughs> um, I assume would stock stand. I just figured everyone has that. Yeah. I really did. I was like, <laughs> Wait, what do you mean you don't like crushed by anxiety from the moment yeah. you wake up? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll still, I'll still hold that. Like, I think if, I think that everyone does feel that once they start thinking about it, but it's just that a lot of people don't think about that stuff because maybe they're too distracted with other things or they've never been exposed to those ideas. Good on them. Good on that. Lucky you. Ignorance is bliss. But, <laughs> but I mean, I think there's also um, uh, people who are dealing with, um. I don't want to say, sound judgmental, but I think people who've kind of been privileged, they're not privileged, but who've just had, sorry, <coughs> the world has kind of worked how it's intended to for them. Yeah. Um, a lot of, you know, middle-class people who grew up in middle-class families and, you know, started a business and uh, never had to deal with kind of structural inequalities um, that prevented them from succeeding. And so they started this, um, you know, restaurant, at, you know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever they've, they've had moderates, they've had enough success to give themselves a good life and their children a good life. And through absolutely no fault of their own, they've seen their business just, you know, go into turmoil and, and, and you know, lose the, the, the potential is there to lose everything that they've ever worked for. And I think that that, crushing realization could be the first time a lot of people have dealt with uncertainty in that way. Mm -hmm. I'm just making, I'm just hypothesizing. I'm not sure, but because yeah. I don't really know many people who are in that position, but um, I'd on. be curious. Yeah. I'd be curious to know the statistics of the people who are calling and using Lifeline for the first time. Totally. Well, that'd be a gross uh, breach of privacy, but I'd be fucking Why can't interested they as well. <laughs> They just tell us like the general demographic statistics. It's, so yeah. it's mainly women called Susan. Yeah. <laughs> Karens. They're all Karens. <laughs> We're all a Karen in some little way yeah. sometimes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> more liberties true. for Karens. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 more, not more liberties. More hugs for Karens. Yeah. They need more hugs and niceness. They're Especially just scared. the actual Karens that are there. Yeah. Like, the actual. Like, Sorry, that made me laugh so much. It's like they're just Karen's. They're like everyone. They're like you and me. 
but it's like, what about the actual Karens that aren't like Karens. with a choppy bob and wraparound sunglasses <laughs> who really enjoy talking to managers just to find out how their day is going? Yeah, they what probably about exist. What about my favorite Karen, Karen Kilgariff? There we go. <laughs> Free Karen. Um, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is because I've got uh, my nieces and nephew is what is going to, the weird sort of, okay. When this whole thing kicked off and everybody was like, holy shit, it's uh, like actually quite serious. Um, my nephew, who's in year four, uh, they had timers in the classrooms for every 15 minutes to sanitize their hands. And it went on for like that for two weeks. So can you imagine how, like, I wonder what the statistics of OCD are going to be after yeah. this. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that, uh, yeah, those long-term effects of, I mean, you know, you look at the, uh, the people who were born and, and raised through the Great Depression and you have, um, you know, a lot of people will talk about, oh, my grandma was raised through the Great Depression. And so she won't even throw out a piece of used tinfoil. They, you know, she'll wash that piece of foil until it's falling apart and reuse that. Like 60 years later, when there's no shortage of tinfoil, still reusing it. And, you know, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I think that's a good way to live, you know, low impact, trying to reuse stuff, trying to recycle stuff, getting secondhand things. But that influenced a whole generation of people who were raised through the Great Depression and World War II, where there were shortages of things. Um, so it's it, we won't know, I think, for decades what the impact on this generation is going to be. But I mean, even our generation who had to um, live through the financial crisis, the great the Great Recession, especially Americans, I think um, it really changed. Like I know that like. When I have kids, I'm not going to let them study something that's not going to lead to a job that exists, you know, as much as like, I, I mean, I think that liberal art, you know, we've talked about this before, I think liberal arts education is important, and I'm totally going to let them take, you know, whatever route they want to get to learn about how to think, but when it comes to actually making sure that they're set up to have a good life, which unfortunately in the world we live in means having a good job, you know, it's going to be really important to me that I drill down into them and be like, you need to learn a practical skill that's going to lead to a specific job. Like you have to, you have to do that because there are so many people from our generation walking around with arts degrees who like, you know, still haven't really made anything, made it anywhere because we're locked out of the job market. And a lot of, you know, it's like, if I didn't study coding, well, then I'm kind of fucked, you know? I don't know. Maybe you, do you disagree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but not, not like, you know, whether it's a practical, like a plumber, you know, like I'll be like, you know, if you, if you want to work with your hands, like study being to be a plumber or an electrician or something like that, you know? Um, I think there's a balance, but also something that like, cause I'm kind of struggling with this with people within my own family um, who I love just so they know. Um, but it's this whole thing is they actually have live in a completely different world to me. The idea of staying in a job for 50 years has been obsolete for a long time now. And it's yeah. only like the trajectory towards that is ridiculous. And so, yeah, you do need to have a job. You do need to have like, and I, I have like, yeah, I'm fluffing around, um, doing my, doing my thing, but I also have like, a diploma of a practical skill that I can fall back on That's and right. to, um, 
to actually have something that I can actually do that isn't. So I understand that. However, I think there's got to be, and I don't like just flat out disagree with it because I think it is exactly what I said. Um, I have a diploma of a practical thing and I think that's very important. I also just think like everybody should know at least one practical thing that they can do mm. um, just to just for their own uh, independence and just like creative sort of thing. But I don't know if like the world, what like what I was thinking before, what if an unintended consequence of this whole thing is that we end up being worse than the boomers to like the generation below us because we don't actually understand the world that we've created, which mm. is probably going to be a whole lot more digital. And so what if, what I'm holding out for and hoping for is all of us idiots walking around with creative arts degrees are actually just waiting for our time to pounce because now we don't have any jobs. Industries have fallen. You have to be creative. It's the only way to make money mm. now. You have to think creatively and you have to be entrepreneurial and you have to be able to do a bunch of different things. So I do agree with you um, about having a thing, but I also don't know if the world is going to be anything like that anymore. Well, how can we even, like such a good point, it's like, how can we even predict what skills are going to be needed? You know, if, if I'm sitting up here um, going, well, yeah, I'm just going to make sure my kid has a, a practical skill. And it's like, well, what if the practical skill is knowing how to run a social media campaign? Like, what mm. if that's, you know, knowing, knowing how to like post really good shit on Instagram to sell stuff? I mean, I hope that I don't have a kid that goes into advertising, but that's, you know, knowing how to use social media is a super valuable skill right now. Um, and I guess when I say that, I think I was talking about myself quite a lot because I don't have a practical skill <laughs> background. and I pretty much just have to rely on my own sort of, um, ability to like convince people that like, I'm the best, you know, if, if I were to be looking for another job now, luckily I'm, I have a really secure one and I have a great workplace that's really values me, but in terms of just like my on paper skill set, I could be replaced by like hundreds and hundreds of people have the same on paper sort of credentials that I have. <clears throat> and so if I were to ever look for another job, it would basically have to be, you know, in a way that I, I there's nothing that would make me stand out from another person until someone meets me, you know? Um, and I think that and, and it makes job hunting so much harder and it makes, you know, thinking about a career path so much harder because, um, you know, I, I feel very like devoid of direction a lot of times because I don't have that one thing that I know I can actually do, you know? Um, and that's actually, I think, an unintended consequences that maybe my parents can relate to, which is <laughs> when you don't, when you uh, let your child just kind of float around and not force them to focus on anything, well, which is not is, their responsibility, I know, but. That's partly their responsibility from an, like at some point, yeah, like there yeah. is a, there is a thing, not yeah. like completely, but there is a, they have some responsibility in the whole I think that like there, there could have been a practical skill that I honed, which I mean, I, I don't think I ever had a teacher tell, who didn't tell me that they thought I was going to be a lawyer, mm. like growing up all through school, everything I did, I, you know, I was like always debating stuff in class and loved doing research and a good writer and all of the, those three things basically mean you should be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> and um, every teacher I ever had always said that my parents, I think, would say that too, but they never, they didn't reinforce the idea as like, that's what you should 
you know, you're really good at that and you, and you should probably pursue that. And I think because they didn't want to be like overbearing parents and, you know, if they're listening right now, you've done a great job and I'm not blaming you for anything, <laughs> but, and it's not to say that my life hasn't turned out great either. Cause it has, but I frequently think about the, you know, if, if I had had a little bit more pressure, I think from them or from someone about, you know, really pursuing a, a path you know, uh, with a lot of intention that maybe I would now have that skill and I would have had that education and I, and I would be doing what I was kind of like, quote unquote, meant to do and where my skills are supposed to be. But now I know that the legal industry is quickly automating. And if I were to go back and study to be a lawyer now, so say in like three years, I'm finally able to practice um, I wouldn't be able to get a job probably straight, you know, unless, unless I relied on my networks and, and whatever, but just from a person's perspective now, because of technology and automation, lawyer jobs are going to go extinct, except for the sort of highest level, I think, strategic, you know, courtroom advocation or like, um, you know, really high level interpretation of laws, but the kind of basic bread and butter legal things that, that law firms do are going to be automated away in the next 10 years, I, I think. And, and a lot of, sorry, that, that's a real prediction from economists, not just me bullshitting. <laughs> yeah, no, and like, no, but I, I, this, and this is what I was thinking about before. Industries are falling like flat on their face for human sort of uh, touch. It won't be long, I don't think, before the best doctors are going to be robots because what yeah. better, like you have a doctor who just takes a blood sample and can actually tell you when it's not the guesswork of some dickhead straight out of med school who just likes to wear white coats. <laughs> There's actually um, already evidence that there are um, artificial intelligence programs that can read and interpret um, like sonograms and x-rays better than a trained radiologist can. It makes sense. Yeah. Like it makes sense. Although that's harrowing. Mm. Sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, and it's not because, um, and it's not because to say that the radiologists aren't good at their jobs, but it's just not. AIs can be fed thousands, if not millions of examples of screens, you know, so they can look at 1 million sonograms where there's cancer present, mm. where there's a tumor or something. And so they just learn what that looks like in all its variations. And it's just, it's physically impossible for a human to, to review that many, you know? Yeah. And I don't mean to sound like a traitor to my species, but for some <laughs> things like doctors, maybe a robot is better mm, that's <laughs> uh, right like maybe we because there's a, like a lot of things that happen in the realm of human error whether it's just misdiagnosis or someone just being a creep and copying a feel which yeah. happens a lot no <laughs> it happens like it's a disgusting it's a real real thing yeah so in a lot of ways a lot of people might feel much more comfortable with a machine which they can tell their symptoms without the like embarrass the judgment <laughs> Yeah, like doctors now can decide not to prescribe stuff to you in certain places in the world if based on your sexual activity or your sexual orientation or if you work as a sex worker. I like I know a lot of people that would be much happier to be able to go to a, like that's why we all check WebMD. The thing is, is that just because there could be unintended consequences of uh, things like automation and um, you know just because that there's a potential that robot cops could be programmed in with the structural discrimination that impacts human cops in my opinion doesn't mean we should throw the idea out entirely it just means that you have to try to anticipate you know where those flaws could be 
And I think the best way to do it is through consultation with a whole variety of people, you know, like it shouldn't be the cops, the police department programming the robot cops. It needs to be an independent body Mm. that maybe has a representative from the police department, but also has a representative from community groups, also has a representative from public health social workers, you know, also has a representative from lawyers so that they can actually interpret the law. And, you know, all of these things, I, all of these problems, at least the known unintended consequences that we could have can be solved if we just are creative about it. You know, I, I, I really reject the notion that we can't have these things because there could be an unintended consequence. I think it's just on us to try and anticipate them. Well, one thing I was thinking about this morning as I was thinking about unintended consequences was just like, what the fuck is it? And realizing, uh, well, not realizing, just kind of musing on the whole thing that like, really everything is chaos until like, it's just another day. It really doesn't matter until like something that you decide is significant makes you trace back what trace to that read event. And that's the only thing that makes it an unintended consequence was making it significant in any other way. Any other time, it's just people, go, it's just the day-to-day movements but yeah. something happens and that's when you decide like oh shit i missed this job interview because of that and trace back all of a sudden a seemingly mundane event is given this higher status of an unintended consequence of a seed action so with and i think that's a fantastic idea having a panel of people to represent how to how we should yeah you, this yeah. makes sense well, like, like, it, it, like oh, man like i don't know uh, this is again maybe reduction reduction reductive for me to say this but i think so many problems we have in society is because that not enough people are consulted but the thing is there's so many people mm. so at some point you do have to realize that you can't keep everybody happy and like, and that is probably more of a reason for us to go, well, then we need to look at other stuff like these 15 minute cities or these like things. Mm. Like, it's just not working how we're doing it. So there yeah. has to be ways. I think the, yeah, I think it's like, it's like finding a balance between having a, a kind of overarching ideology. So it's like, okay, we want to fix the problem of um, traffic on our streets. Um, but we also want to do it in a way that um, doesn't disproportionately impact low-income people. That uh, we want to do it in a way that doesn't, that decreases emissions, you know, and, and helps the environment. We want to do it in a way that, um, uh, you know, in encourages people to take public transport. Yeah, well, I've pretty much said all the things that I want to say, I reckon. I'm just like having a look mm. through the thing. Butterfly effects, which is just everybody, like that's the problem with, the unintended consequence of finding out what a butterfly effect was is now that there's so much stuff called butterfly effect, which all like <laughs> the butterfly effect of like finding out what the butterfly effect was is now that there's like John Ronson's new thing was called the butterfly effect. There's oh, like yeah. 84 different podcasts called the butterfly effect. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It's a real head case. Um, mm. and that's just on Spotify. There's heaps more on like, Oh wow. Um, Cause now it's, yeah, I think it's a pretty zeitgeisty thing right now as we're in a period in the world. Like, it seems like in the sort of popular imagination, the, the uh, looking at more than just the surface level effects of things is quite prevalent, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, now we're able to, with the advent of the internet, you can find, like before, you didn't, you didn't know 
where your like textiles came from so you didn't have to worry about it mm. and now you can also like track what happens when you throw that plastic bottle in the water and it ends up in a patch in the speci- uh, p- specific the specific <laughs> the specific <laughs> ocean <laughs> No, but like, you know what I mean? Absolutely. We are actually able to see like the unintended consequences, which before we were able to just happily be ignorant. Yeah, that's true. And computing power, you know, we can actually process and analyze data in a way that we haven't been able to before um, because we just didn't simply have the computing power for it. And and more things are recorded and tracked now as well. Totally. Um, Well, um. That was a really good chat about unintended consequences. I liked where that went. I enjoyed the fuck out of that. Me yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I wonder if, I hope that our listeners are going to have some really interesting stories to send in as well, because I would like to hear about people's personal stories of unintended consequences or fun factoids to fill our brains and rabbit holes to go down about uh, historical unintended consequences could be quite interesting to hear. Yeah. I see like my mind just goes into like straight away. It's just a like writing sort of gold because I'm just imagining someone sends in a factoid and I'm thinking about it as I happen to walk into traffic and get killed <gasps> as a result of just like daydreaming about it. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just, it's just ready-made. It's a ready-made plot line. It is. And then we can have another episode about the unintended consequences of our episode on unintended consequences. <laughs> yeah. What if the unintended consequences of this episode ends up with Tony Abbott getting shot outside my oh house? Oh my God. <laughs> here's hoping. Here's the yeah, here's <laughs> I might just actually end on just a really famous. Sorry. Yes. No, it's okay. Um, I just, the, you know what, one of the first things that came to my mind when we talked about unintended consequences was um, this, um, so Donald Rumsfeld in 2003 or 2004, who was the Secretary of Defense in the U.S., um, under George W. Bush during the period when we started the Iraq War, mm-hmm. um, went on TV and he had this really famous quote that everyone made fun of him about. But I didn't actually realize that was what this quote was. But the first thing I thought of when I thought about unintended consequences was this. As we know, there are known knowns. There are things that we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things that we do not know, but there are also unknown unknowns. The ones we don't know, we don't know. <laughs> Which is like, actually quite, if, if not in the context of you know starting a war in the Middle East, um, quite a deep thought because it is, it is something that's really true. It's like, we, we don't know what we don't know. And so every action we take is likely to have an unknown, unknown consequence. <laughs> Yeah, it's quite Dr. Zeus as well. I quite yes. like the, the like rhyming sort of thing about it. No. I know. So if anyone's got any known knowns, unknown unknowns, or unknown knowns, or known unknowns. Or surprising show, knowns. Or surprising knowns. <laughs> uh, please send them through to us. Um, at. at. Um, do you ever think about mail at gmail.com and the number which we should write somewhere where we can both see it easily (laughs) (laughs) please send them to do you ever think about mail at gmail.com or text us at 0499-860-397 we won't know until you let us know that's right (laughs) (laughs) i hope an unintended consequence of you listening to this podcast today was that you had a really wonderful day (laughs) <laughs> All right. 
milk in it. No, that was yeah. All right. <laughs> and as always, a huge thank you to our number one production engineer, Scotty, and the fabulous Slum One for our cover art and graphic design. You can find Slum One on Instagram at S-L-U-M underscore O-N-E. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with some more food for thought. Stay safe out there. We love you. Thank you.